How did the United States Army respond to the rise of the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, also known as ISIS, in 2014? What unique tactics and procedures were used in Operation Inherent Resolve that eventually led to the defeat of ISIS? For answers to these questions and more insights, stay tuned. Welcome to the U.S. Army History and Heritage Podcast, the official podcast of the United States Army Center of Military History. The Center of Military History writes and publishes the Army's official history, manages the U.S. Army Museum Enterprise, and provides historical support throughout the U.S. Army. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. I'm Lee Reynolds, the Strategic Communications Officer for the Center of Military History. In this episode, I'll be speaking with CMH historian Dr. Mason Watson about his new pamphlet, The Conflict with ISIS, which tells the story of Operation Inherent Resolve from June 2014 to January 2020. Welcome, Mason, and thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you, Lee. It's uh, great to be here. Well, uh, let me uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about you. So Dr. Mason W. Watson is a historian at the Center of Military History, where he specializes in contemporary U.S. military operations and the history of the Iraq War. He joined CMH in 2017 as a graduate research assistant and worked for more than a year as a member of CMH's World War I Centennial Commemoration Committee. He co-authored a commemorative brochure on the Second Battle of the Marne in 1918. Uh, Mason holds a BA in history from the College of William and Mary and an MA and PhD in military history from the Ohio State University. All right, uh, Mason, so what am I missing about you, your background? Well, that, that summed it up pretty well. Uh, so when I, uh, you know, the main thing is my, my PhD, uh, I did that in military history, but specifically in the history of, of World War I. So it, it dealt with the, uh, the controversies surrounding British generalship and strategy on the Western Front. Oh. So when I came to CMH, I, I joined CMH as a graduate research assistant back in 2017, and I, uh, it made a lot of sense for me to join and work on the, uh, the centennial commemoration, and I had the opportunity to co-author a, a pamphlet on, um, as you mentioned, on the Battle of the Marne. And, uh, and from there, uh, I, I managed to, uh, to transition to doing Iraq war history, so it was an <laughs> entirely new field for me. Uh, but I think it's a very interesting one and an important one, so I'm, uh, I'm I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to do that here at CMH. So how did you start your transition? How, how did you just jump in and learn about uh, OIF and the Iraq War? Oh, that's a good question. I had the opportunity to spend uh, around a year working as a uh, assisting um, uh, uh, Mark Reardon, one of our, uh, at that time, one of our senior historians, uh, as, a, as a research assistant on a project uh, dealing with the advising and assisting the Iraqi army. Uh, so he was covering a period going back to 2003. Uh, so working on that, it actually, it made a lot of sense for me to transition from that topic to once that project was concluded, working on Operation Inherent Resolve, mm -hmm. which also was, uh, from the Army's standpoint, uh, to a large extent, an advise and assist mission. All right, yeah, and we're going to get get into that. So this is, it's a it's a pamphlet. It's a, about eighty three pages of of uh, narrative, and I think what about one hundred seventeen pages total. That's right. 
Uh, well, like it's got some really good uh, maps and images in it, so I think people are gonna it's uh, w- would really enjoy reading this. And uh, it's called "The Conflict with ISIS: Operation Inherent Resolve," June two thousand fourteen to January twenty twenty. So, before we get into the details, just give us a, a little overview about what this covers. Yeah. So, as the name suggests, it deals with. Uh, operation Inherent Resolve. So it's it's attempting to be a, a history of the entire operation, um, and uh, which I should note up front is ongoing. So we had mm-hmm. to choose an end date. Uh, January 2020 ended up making sense for reasons I can go into uh, in a little bit. But uh, so the thing about Operation Inherent Resolve, it, basically what this is, is it's actually a history of the unit that that executed this mission, which is a combined joint task force operation and hair resolve. Mm. Um, and now every iteration of this uh, formation has been built around uh, a U.S. Army uh, headquarters element, uh, for the most part, uh, core headquarters, mm-hmm. and has been commanded by a U.S. Army uh, 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 lieutenant general. So the, the idea was to tell the story of this uh, of this organization and how it executed the mission to defeat the Islamic State. And uh, in order to tell the, the story more fully, uh, the, the, the monograph goes into detail about how ISIS came to the point where it controlled um, a large territory, a territory about the size of Kentucky, and, and ruled over um, you know, approximately 11 million people. Uh, and, and so the, it's a really... Um, uh, a really interesting story of how that that was uh, finally rolled back and uh, and and eliminated. Mm-hmm. And so the the ultimate conclusion uh, is uh, you know uh, the the so the self proclaimed uh, caliph of of uh, ISIS uh, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi uh, is uh, killed in a U.S. raid in late 2019, mm-hmm. and uh, finally in 2020 uh, we have. Uh, the withdrawal from Syria is at least uh, partially complete, and in Iraq things are sort of uh, are winding down. So that that made sense as as an endpoint. Mm. All right, well, good, and and like I said, we'll get into some more of the details here in a few minutes. But for the listeners too, you know, we're calling this ISIS, the Islamic State of um, Syria. Yes, uh, yeah, the acronym is a source of confusion. Uh, ISIS is. Uh, I define it as the Islamic State of Iraq and al-Sham, so it's incorporating mm. an Arabic term there. Mm. Um, it's important to, to talk about this a little bit up front because so the, uh, listeners may have heard of al-Qaeda in Iraq. That was a... a, a AQI. Yeah, case, AQI. Right? Yeah, that was, a, that was sort of one of the most dangerous insurgent groups that the U.S. forces faced uh, during Operation Iraqi Freedom and mm. Operation... New Dawn, and that actually went through several different names. It ultimately rebrands as uh, the Islamic State of Iraq in 2006. Mm. Uh, now, for simplicity's sake, uh, in this monograph, uh, I just refer to it as AQI. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to its transformation into the uh, so-called Islamic State of Iraq and al-Sham in, in uh, 20, uh, 2013. Uh, and to be truly accurate, uh, it actually further transforms into uh, it just drops its regional designation and just calls itself the Islamic State mm. in 2014. Um, but uh, I'm just going with the the uh, 
what the what the U.S. military calls it, which is ISIS, which is ISIS, right? And it's and so because I know I remember during that time frame, I think President Obama used to refer to it as ISIL, but it's the same organization. That's correct. Yeah, ISIL was was the uh, the acronym of choice for for a while. That's right under under President Obama. Uh, and that that sort of went by the wayside because it didn't really catch on popularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, it, it it simplifies things to just call them ISIS. Usually when, you know, a history book or in this case, it's a pamphlet or what you're calling a monograph. And um, when that comes out, it's usually like, you know, 10, 20 years after an event. This is pretty quick. You guys turn this around um, pretty quick. So. So why is this pamphlet coming out now? And is this actually part of a larger series of things? Yeah, well, so I'll answer your second question first. And that, yes, this is part of a larger series. Uh, currently, it's the, the second entry in, in a series of uh, what we're now calling monographs on uh, the U.S. Army operations in Iraq. Uh, the, the other one that's out is uh, uh, Dr. Nick Schlosser's uh, volume on the surge, mm-hmm. on the Iraq surge in 2007, 2008. Um, and so this... The timing for this just worked out uh, that we had, uh, that CMH had someone who could write it and, and me, um, mm-hmm. and that uh, we had the sources for it. Uh, and so uh, given all that, it made sense uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, why wait is sort of the the, right. uh, the question. Um, and so... Uh, uh, and so we went ahead and and, uh, and did this. Well, one of the things, and, and I think that's so important to get something like this as quickly as, as we have it, is that we do, the Center of Military History uh, tries to help inform current leaders. And using these valuable lessons learned that you'll see in here can help current decision making. Yeah, I, I do think it's very important to have, just to have a basic narrative setting out what the facts were mm-hmm. uh, so that ideally... Uh, army leaders or, or uh, policy policymakers can read it and, and derive lessons from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's important to, to kind of set the record straight. Uh, and and hopefully what I've accomplished here is uh, doing that in a, in a readable, uh, accessible way. Let's get into the details. Um, you know, we do encourage people to to get the monograph, uh, to, to read this. Like I said, it's 83 pages of narrative. So it's... Um, it's it, People can get through it, but I want to go through some of the highlights. But before we get into the details, let's backtrack a bit. How was ISIS able to gain the strength and take over about a third of the territory of Iraq? So give us the strategic setting, um, I guess, prior to 2014. Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And the uh, the answers, uh, as, as with almost everything with ISIS, is pretty complicated. Uh, so as I was saying, the, the organization that ISIS grew out of, AQI, uh, had fought against U.S. forces in Iraq for, since uh, literally going back to 2003. Uh, by 2010, they were, they were more or less defeated that we had killed uh, uh, one leader after another, um, and they were reduced to, uh, to a pretty low level of operations. Mm-hmm. Um, now, something happened in 2011 that g- gave them an opportunity to uh, to co- to make a comeback, and that is the the outbreak of the uh, civil war in Syria across the border. Oh, right. Uh, now that uh, was in full swing by by 2012, by early 2012, and it left this large uh, semi-governed area in the eastern part of Syria, which is just uh, perfect for uh, a terrorist organization mm-hmm. like like uh, AQI, um, and it also 
the dynamics of the Syrian civil war benefited AQI in mm-hmm. that it was it saw a predominantly Sunni uh, uprising, uh, that is Sunni Arab uprising against a regime that was oriented more towards Shia mm-hmm. uh, 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 Syrians. Uh, the actual the Syrian regime is is um, dominated by Alawites, which are uh, that's a uh, debatably a, a sect of Shia Islam, mm-hmm. and they uh, they also enjoyed support from Iran. Uh, oh, right. So that galvanized uh, you know Sunni uh, opinion in Syria, um, and AQI recognized an opportunity to 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 uh, take advantage of this. Um, uh, a civil war to uh, in in the un, ungoverned spaces in Syria to build up a new organization to 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 kind of start mm-hmm. over, right. and so in 2012 2013, uh, AQI is able to do that. They actually have a sort of front organization in Syria called the Al Nusra uh, Front, or um, and uh, in 2014, meanwhile in Iraq. The, the government of, of Nuri al-Maliki, the prime minister of Iraq, who'd been a prime minister since 2006. He, uh, without U.S. influence, uh, U.S. forces present in the area. Right, because the United States forces withdrew in 2011, was it? That's correct, yeah. Uh, so once once U.S. forces had withdrawn in, in 2011, uh, al-Maliki doesn't really have any check on, on some of his worst instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, he engages in in a degree of sectarian oppression of of, of uh, Sunni Iraqis, uh, and so there is a, a base of of disgruntled Sunni Arabs in Iraq yeah. um, that uh, that ISIS is or AQI is able to to um, use as a, a source of, of um, manpower. Mm. And in early 2014, ISIS uh, shocks the world by capturing uh, Fallujah. In Iraq, uh, the insurgency in Anbar uh, is is now again uh, active, um, and uh, by June, uh, the uh, ISIS is able to uh, launch an attack on the northern Iraqi city of Mosul. Mm-hmm. Now, Mosul is a a big city with about one point five million inhabitants. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's defended by two entire Iraqi divisions. And ISIS, with about 1,500 fighters and pickup trucks, is able to route the Iraqi army out of the city and take it over. Hmm. And uh, this shows the extent to which the Iraqi army had uh, deteriorated after after we had left. Uh, hmm. Now, of course, we spent about $25 billion <laughs> yeah. and eight years building up the Iraqi army. Right. Uh, so that, in short, is, is at that point, it was clear that the Iraqi government had limited means to, to combat this organization, mm-hmm. uh, and that ultimately prompts our intervention. Now, we don't send troops in in June 2014 in immediate response to this, mm-hmm. not combat troops. Right. Uh, and we don't begin actually shooting at ISIS until August, when a, a second wave of ISIS offensives in northern uh-huh. Iraq starts mm-hmm. up. But then, so how did Operation Inherent Resolve come about? When did it start? Yeah, so Operation Inherent Resolve 
technically begins in October of 2014. Okay. So airstrikes against ISIS start in August and have mm-hmm. retroactively been considered part of inherent resolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it isn't actually formally organized as Operation Inherent Resolve until October. So what was the purpose when we put together Operation Inherent Resolve? Um, what was the purpose, the mission of that operation? Uh, well, in, in President Obama's words, the, the idea is to degrade and destroy the Islamic State. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's very much targeted specifically at ISIS, uh, which is significant because uh, the Operation Inherent Resolve does extend into Syria. So mm-hmm. I should also specify that geographically, mm-hmm. Operation Inherent Resolve is dealing with Iraq and Syria specifically. Okay. Now, I, I should say that, that ISIS as an organization uh, has a worldwide presence uh, and uh, its activities in, say, uh, Libya, for example, don't um, don't actually, our efforts to, to counter them don't fall under Operation Inherent Resolve. Right, and then, so when, when the operation starts, is it just the United States? Oh, I mean, clearly we're working with the Iraqis, I would imagine, but who is involved in this operation, uh, nation states? Yeah, so uh, many, of, many of the old, uh, many, many U.S. allies, familiar U.S. allies are involved in this operation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, France and the United Kingdom get involved right off the bat, pretty much. Uh, there are actually British special operators uh, down there in Iraq, uh, even in August of 2014. But it's in, uh, in September when the French and the British start uh, bombing ISIS. Mm. Uh, we also, uh, the entire OIR coalition is massive. It, it has uh, you know, dozens of countries involved. Uh, not all of them contributed directly militarily. Uh, but a lot of the Gulf states were involved. Jordan was involved, uh, is um, involved. So it's it's a very broad coalition. Uh, it's not uh, it's not just unilateral uh, U.S. Uh, actions against uh, ISIS. All right. So let's let's talk about the U.S. response then. What units, uh, leaders, who who was in charge of all this, and who was participating? So when when Operation Inherit Resolve began. Uh, or I should say, actually, before it began in June 2014, uh, what happened was uh, U.S. Army Central, which was commanded by Lieutenant General James Terry, sent in a small headquarters element mm. under uh, Major General Dana Petard to uh, to just uh, uh, to set up in, in uh, you know the the green zone in, in Baghdad mm-hmm. uh, and establish some kind of framework for command and control uh, and. By uh, October, when Inherent Resolve formally starts, it therefore is, is naturally U.S. Army Central that gets uh, selected to stand up the, a new organization, mm-hmm. which is Combined Joint Task Force Operation Inherent Resolve, C-J-T-F-O-I-R. Uh, and, I mean, there is somewhere out there an explanation for what Inherent Resolve actually means uh, or why mm-hmm. that, that name mm-hmm. was chosen. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't, you know, I, I quoted in the monograph, uh, whatever, it, you know, it works, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not perhaps the most inspiring right. name. Um, but at any rate, CJTFOIR uh, is uh, stood up in October under, under uh, U.S. Army Central. So U.S. Army Central, of course, still exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Terry is simultaneously the commanding general of U.S. Army Central and of OIR. Uh so that places some strain on that organization. Later on, uh, 
we have dedicated U.S. Army Corps headquarters go and serve as the foundation mm. for uh, CJTFOIR with the Third Corps under Sean McFarland coming in in 2015. Mm. He, of course, had a lot of experience in Iraq. Uh, and in 2016, uh, the 18th Airborne Corps and then the 18th Airborne Corps and the Third Corps alternate back and forth for a while, oh, okay. uh, serving as the headquarters. So let's talk about troop strengths, and um, because this wasn't really another surge. Um, Far from it. Yeah, so how would you describe the operational tactical role of the Army, or what we like to call the TTPs, the Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures? What was, what was unique about this operation uh, as compared to, let's say, OIF, Operation Iraqi Freedom? Sure, yeah, so this is very, very different from OIF in terms of the, the scale of the U.S. presence uh, on the ground in Iraq. Uh, basically, how it worked throughout is that you have this core headquarters serving as the higher uh, headquarters for the entire operation. Under that would be a single division headquarters. Uh, the first one was the 1st Infantry Division mm -hmm. under, under uh, at that time, Major General uh, Funk. Um, oh, mm -hmm. And, uh, and under, under that would be a single... Uh, brigade combat team. Now, I mean, it's important to emphasize that none of these had their entire strength actually present right. in theater. Uh, and uh, that's the conventional side of things. There's also heavy involvement of, uh, of special operations forces. Mm -hmm. But in no sense do we have a, a large number of U.S. troops going around on the ground, because the, the nature of this mission is not that uh, the U.S. is doing the fighting, uh, that we're doing the fighting ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to actually closing with and 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 uh, and fighting ISIS, uh, the people doing that are uh, our allies mm -hmm. or our partners, the Iraqi security forces, mm -hmm. so the Iraqi army, uh, and um, in Syria, uh, several different organizations, which I can <laughs> go into. Yeah. Uh, that situation mm -hmm. is is complicated, mm -hmm. um, but uh, primarily what we're doing is. For our ground troops, advising and mm -hmm. assisting um, the Iraqis, for example, uh, and uh, doing targeting for okay. uh, American air power and later uh, for surface-to-surface -surface fires. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's no, there are no uh, U.S. Uh, battalions closing with uh, maneuvering yeah. around and, and fighting against ISIS. And um, what were the biggest challenges that that the um the Americans or our allied forces faced uh, in this situation? Well, this is, uh, it's uh, the, the biggest challenge is probably working with it, with the limitations of our partners. Uh, uh -huh. I mean, uh, you can, you can see that probably if we, if we just put an entire full strength brigade combat team on the ground, um, in 2014, uh, you could, you could think, well, probably they could have just retaken Mosul that year. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and liberated it, and we'd be done. Uh, this would, but of course, uh, this would not have totally solved our ISIS problem. Mm -hmm. um, and that solution was not acceptable to the Iraqis, uh, who are, uh, you know, justly proud of their own sovereignty and, mm -hmm. and not eager to relive the days of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Right. Um, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an option that appealed to the U.S. government. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, one of the uh, key achievements of President Obama's tenure as president had been uh, to to end or, or, mm -hmm. or wind down the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, so he was not uh, obviously going to be eager to, to uh, restart them. Uh, so that meant working with the limitations of our partners mm -hmm. um, 
for the Iraqi security forces, like I noted, they had been on the brink of defeat in 2014, entire divisions. And in fact, uh, five entire divisions had, had essentially ceased to exist. Uh, because they were defeated by ISIS or just because they fled? Or? A, a mix of both. Really? Uh, they, they had not been uh, in good shape even before ISIS uh, mm-hmm. attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, but the result of it was that we sort of had to rebuild the Iraqi security forces. Mm-hmm. So that took a lot of time. Right. Uh, and uh, again, in Syria, we had an issue where uh, we did not, unlike in Iraq, we did not have a national government there that was willing to serve or ready to serve as our partner that we would mm-hmm. be willing to partner with. Um, the uh, U.S. policy towards the regime of, of Syrian President al-Assad was was that Assad was illegitimate, that he had to step aside as, as president of Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were obviously not going to be supporting him, and that left us in a situation of trying to find uh, acceptable allies to fight on the ground against ISIS in Syria. So explain how this happened. You know, so inherent resolve starts basically October of 2014. We had people there a little bit earlier. Um, but bring us bring us through how how did we win back uh, or ha- help the Iraqis to win back their territory? Sure. So uh, it again, it took time. Uh, 2015, we see the first. Uh, in Iraq, counteroffensives that are taking back significant territory. So remember, at the end of, by September 2014, ISIS had managed to take over about a third of Iraq. So uh, most of Anbar province, most of Nineveh province, uh, and, uh, and parts of other provinces. So the northern and western part of Iraq. Exactly, basically. exactly, including, incidentally, basically the entire border with uh, Syria, mm-hmm. right? And, and, of course, they have this base area in Syria that, we're, that we need to get at. Uh, so, uh, ISIS in fact kind of surprised us in early 2015 in May, 2015, because they, they ended up not being, uh, even though we'd been bombing them heavily, uh, since August, 2014, uh, they were still able to launch a major offensive and capture Ramadi, uh, in, in May. And at the same time, almost simultaneously, they captured the city of Palmyra in Syria. So uh, in retrospect, this is probably the high point of ISIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, it looked like, wow, this organization that we've been, uh, that we've been degrading for, mm-hmm. for months is still on the offensive. It sort of uh, was a shock. Well, as, as, as we were helping the Iraqis, um, was Iran or any other country also rearming and training and advising ISIS? Uh, Iran is heavily involved, uh, not on the side of ISIS. Now, the, 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 there's a weird situation, a weird dynamic in Iraq where the Iraqi military has two foreign backers or two kind of sets <laughs> of alliances that it's, that it's part of. There's uh, the U.S.-led coalition with Operation Inherent Resolve, and there is a Russian, Iranian, Syrian regime uh, coalition. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so Iran in the United States actually shared a common enemy in ISIS. Oh. And uh, so the, the, uh, in response to the initial shock of, of ISIS taking Mosul, um, the, uh, the uh, a prominent Shia cleric in, um, in Iraq called for volunteers uh, to stop ISIS from getting to Baghdad. And so this led to the creation of an organization called the Popular Mobilization Forces. 
which was an agglomeration of essentially Shia militias. Mm. And Iran was heavily involved in this mm. organization and supporting it and advising it. How interesting. Uh, so Coming together to defeat the common enemy there. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, so throughout the throughout Operation Inherent Resolve, uh, the United States has the difficult task of trying to uh, to deal with with Iran's involvement and kind of minimize it or redirect it. Because the thing about the popular mobilization forces and these militias uh, is that they many of them were the same organizations that had it at one time fought against U.S. forces in mm -hmm. Iraq mm -hmm. uh, and. Moreover, they had also committed atrocities against Sunni Iraqis. All right. Now, our vision, the United States' vision, the coalition's vision for victory in Iraq over ISIS was always that uh, reconciliation between Sunni and Shia. Mm. Uh, now, so preventing the PMF from having heavy involvement in liberating Sunni areas was a very important objective mm -hmm. uh, because when they did, uh, often there would be indiscriminate killings of civilians that mm -hmm. would follow, yeah. which would just further push uh, Iraqi Sunni Arabs uh, towards supporting ISIS. How did we eventually start pushing the uh, ISIS back? When did that start happening? Yeah, so so things really start turning around. In uh, 2015, we, uh, the Iraqi security forces, with our, with our help, launched an offensive to retake Ramadi, as mm -hmm. I said, after, the, after ISIS had taken it. Uh, by December, they had pretty much liberated the city. It takes a long time. This mm. this gives us a hint of just how long this whole thing's going to take. Mm -hmm. uh, because, they, yeah, they start this offensive in July. And it's only in December uh, that the Iraqis uh, are finally in there uh, raising the Iraqi national flag on the, on the, on the roof of the... Uh, of so the, this is uh, door to door, basically. provincial headquarters. Yeah, it does see you know door to door, uh, you know brutal urban fighting. Well, that's that's an important thing to to uh, to note, right? Because this is a basically it's a conventional battle, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what we'd been doing for the most part after the initial invasion of Iraq in two thousand three had been counterinsurgency or mm -hmm. irregular warfare, stability operations generally, uh, and. Uh, and that's sort of a different animal from what we're seeing here in, mm. in, in Iraq in uh, 2014, 2015, 2016, where ISIS is holding territory. They have basically a semi-conventional force mm -hmm. on the ground, right? Yeah. They have, uh, you know, battalions. They've got companies. Uh, they're, uh, they're holding buildings. They're, they have artillery. You know, they mm. have indirect fire assets. They even, and I can go into this a little bit, they even have a, a kind of air force. Mm. Uh so they're they're very much a conventional opponent, although they they use lots of unconventional methods. They're, you know, the characteristic weapon that ISIS employed is the vehicle-borne improvised explosive device. Okay, okay. the VBID. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is essentially it's a car bomb mm -hmm. uh, with armor on it, mm. and this is not a new thing. Uh, it's a common uh, something that we would have seen a lot of in in terrorist attacks on civilians, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but what ISIS did with them is it used them on a, in a tactical role on the battlefield, which is kind of oh, wow. new. Mm -hmm. uh, and what it's been likened to is basically it's their version of a precision-guided munition. Mm -hmm. So uh, they would use V-bids to spearhead attacks. Uh, and then wow. they had essentially, I mean, basically shock troops who would follow up these attacks and take over mm -hmm. uh, and, and take ground. Uh, this, is, this is incidentally what, what ISIS had done in Ramadi. I mean, it had detonated... 
uh, more than uh, you know more than a dozen of these things, and each one had more explosive power uh, than the bomb used in, in Oklahoma City. Wow! In uh, oh wow! In the nineties, so these are mm-hmm. massive things. Yeah. Uh, and as you might imagine, it's very demoralizing to be on the receiving end of this mm-hmm. sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, which mm. helps to explain why the Iraqis had so much trouble mm-hmm. uh, dealing with them. Uh, but to go back to your question, anyway. Uh, Ramadi is liberated by the end of 2015. Uh, for the most part, it takes a little bit longer to uh, to actually uh, root out some some you know uh, the uh, remnants of ISIS's force in the city. Fallujah is liberated in in uh, the summer of 2016, and then we get on to the big thing, mm-hmm. which is Mosul. Mm-hmm. Taking that back has always been the main objective mm-hmm. of the campaign, right. uh, and this is a massive battle, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it lasts from October 2016 through July 2017. You know, wow. so it's it's nine months, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it involves nearly a hundred thousand Iraqi soldiers. Uh, so it's really wow. on a it's it's on a a, a very large scale. Uh, it's a very bloody battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Iraqis suffer about eight thousand casualties, including about twelve hundred uh, soldiers killed in action in uh, in the course of of liberating. Uh, Mosul, and and of course we play a very prominent role in this in providing fire support and advising mm-hmm. the Iraqis. And fire support, you mean artillery, mortars, air, yes. air power? Yes, all all of the all mm-hmm. of these. Uh, right. But we didn't have actual tactical troops on the ground outside of advisors. Uh, yeah, or did we? When it comes to conventional forces, no, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we did have plenty of advisors on the ground, and mm-hmm. during the Battle of Mosul, actually, uh, we. Uh, the, the rules of engagement changed pretty significantly in December of 2016 mm-hmm. when, uh, under General Townsend, um, CJTFOIR issues a tactical directive that allows U.S. advisors to accompany uh, mm-hmm. Iraqi forces forward uh, close to the actual battle. Now, uh, un- until this happened, the... Uh, Basically, U.S. advisors had been tethered to to uh, secure bases, mm-hmm. and so they were kept very far away from oh, okay. from from combat. And uh, you know, it's it's apparently it's very hard to advise people over telephone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, did we have drones up that they could observe? That oh, way? oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and in fact, our drones were, uh, in, in a sense, the Iraqis became almost dependent on them, mm-hmm. uh, be, not just to see ISIS, but to see their own troops. Mm. Right. Uh, so the the Iraqis sort of relied on on uh, our drones to know where their own forces were on the battlefield. And did the American rules of engagement change? You mentioned it was December 2016, but we had a change in uh, the presidency, 2017. Did that affect the rules of engagement on the ground? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, so, like like I said, it the the tactical directive predates the uh, the incoming of of the Trump administration. Uh, uh, so the the Trump administration, uh, you know, um, uh, at that time, uh, Ma- uh, Mattis was the Secretary of Defense, the, the first Secretary of Defense, um, and he had a, a vision for the war with ISIS that uh, was slightly different from from um, what had been uh, his predecessor was Ash Carter, mm-hmm. uh, what what had been under under Carter, um, where he was emphasizing annihilating ISIS as opposed to. Um, uh, you know, inflicting a lasting defeat on them or destroy, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a, 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 a just a difference in terminology. Um, but certainly we see, and I, I can't say that this is uh, entirely the result of, of uh, uh, the change in leadership in the White House, 
Um, but in Mos- in Mosul, in uh, you know, so half of, more than half of the battle takes place after Trump becomes president. Um, uh, we uh, we don't let ISIS escape. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, in previous battles, we generally left, or we we had the or the Iraqis had done this themselves, left an avenue for uh, ISIS to to retreat to mm-hmm. leave the city, which kind of benefits everyone, mm. you know. So it, it avoids. Urban combat's incredibly bloody and oh, and, yeah. and uh and uh damaging to the city, damaging to, to every everyone. Um in Mosul we didn't do that. Uh we totally sealed ISIS in and then they ended up fighting to the basically to the last mm-hmm. fighter. Wow. Um and uh so that that does happen in, in twenty seventeen and that is sort of a, a new mm-hmm. thing. But also and, and that's maybe why it took a little bit longer to defeat them in Mosul? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in other battles, uh, ISIS would eventually reach a point where they uh, realize that they're not going to win, and they decide that it would be better to to live and fight another day. Mm. And uh, they were generally able to make arrangements uh, with our allies, with the Iraqis or, or the mm-hmm. Syrians that we were supporting, right. uh, to do that. Uh, I would note quickly, they did that in Fallujah in 2016, mm. uh, at least they they managed to get a convoy of troops of fighters out of the city, mm. uh, and we picked up on that pretty easily using ISR, using intelligence, mm-hmm. surveillance, and reconnaissance. Um, and then we just blew up the convoy. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I mean, it invited comparisons to the, you know the highway of death in the Gulf War. Yeah, that's right? what I was thinking too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so it was a. a a pretty significant defeat uh, mm-hmm. for ISIS there. Uh, so even though um, they could they could escape, mm-hmm. uh, that didn't mean that uh, they would necessarily be allowed to to uh, to just go away mm-hmm. and fight again. So Mosul, we've got uh, Mosul now, and yes. then uh, what's the next steps? Uh, so almost uh, simultaneous with Mosul, we have operations in Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ISIS's uh, kind of capital is the city of Raqqa which is in eastern Syria. It's on the Euphrates River. Um, and we're working with uh, an organization called the Syrian Democratic Forces uh, to, to kick ISIS out of Raqqa. Mm-hmm. Now, the SDF uh, is an interesting organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not exist when OIR began. Uh, oh. Their predecessors existed. Uh, basically, it's, it's built around the largest element of the SDF, is the the YPG the the People's Protection Units? It's a Syrian Kurdish organization, uh, and uh, we supported the YPG uh, when they were fighting in Kobani. And this was back in 2014 and early 2015. ISIS launched a major offensive against the the city of Kobani, which is on the border between Turkey and Syria. Mm-hmm. And uh, and ISIS actually ends up taking very severe casualties there because of our uh, our the the sort of air support that we provided to the YPG, but we were we were reluctant to ally uh, much more closely with the YPG because uh, and this is where Syria just it gets very complicated. Mm-hmm. But they have close ties uh, to the PKK, which is a an organization that the United States designates as a terrorist organization. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. And uh, so ultimately, they proved to be the most effective force fighting ISIS in Syria. Mm-hmm. And they also, and this is key, they were one of the few forces on the ground in Syria that was willing to do what we wanted, which was 
fight ISIS, but not really fight against the Syrian regime. Okay. Because wow. it, it was not part of our policy mm-hmm. to uh, to su- to directly support forces fighting against the Syrian regime. Uh, there's some nuance to that that we don't need to go into. A lot of nuance here. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, it gets very complicated uh, when you're dealing with Syria. Um, but at any rate, the SDF incorporates the YPG, but it kind of keeps... Um, it's it's satisfi- it's satisfactory from every angle essentially mm-hmm. uh, and w- with support from from um, coalition special forces mm-hmm. they're able to launch an offensive to take back Raqqa and they do this basically at the same time that, that the Mosul fight is playing out and this is another massive battle uh, and Raqqa is a smaller city than Mosul but it's left utterly uh, uh, devastated uh, but at the end of it uh, ISIS no longer has uh, their two most important cities. And they're essentially left uh, just a small uh, sliver of territory in the Euphrates River Valley inside mm-hmm. of Syria. Mm. And, uh, and so at that point, uh, liberating this last area becomes the main objective. Um, and, uh, and that takes uh, until March 2019 to accomplish, oh, wow. uh, working mainly with the SDF. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings ISIS's uh, you know, self-proclaimed uh, caliphate to an end. What you take this book through January of 2020. So what's uh, what do you cover there towards the end in the book? Yeah, so I I go uh, beyond the end of the you know what is some kind of, sometimes called the physical caliphate mm-hmm. um, because we have uh, we have interesting things going on with our uh, kind of abortive withdrawal from Syria that Trump initiates uh, actually starting in December 2018 and then he kind of restarts it in in October of mm-hmm. 2019. Uh, then we have the the uh, the uh, raid that results in the death of uh, al-Baghdadi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, we have something very interesting in Iraq, uh, which is the airstrikes that kill uh, Qasim Soleimani, mm. uh, the Iranian uh, 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 leader of the, uh, the uh, Quds Force, and, uh, and also at the same time, uh, one of the leaders of the, the uh, popular mobilization forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that happens in early uh, uh, 2020. Okay. Uh, which uh, served uh, as uh, you know that was that that served as a kind of ending mm-hmm. um, uh, for uh, for the monograph. Well, great, a um, lot of lot of information we've covered here, but I know there's a lot more details in the book. So this is really a, a good uh, teaser for anybody that's uh, really interested in what took place. But I understand that you're working on an even larger book. We call this a pamphlet or a monograph. Um, so what's, what's next for you? Well, yeah, so that's right. This is sort of the, what this is, is the foundation for my next project, which I'm currently working on, which is a, uh, a much longer, uh, uh, more detailed account of Operation Inherent Resolve. Um, and, uh, as you might imagine, since this is so recent, uh, most of the official records are still classified. So it's mm-hmm. being written at the, on the classified level. Okay. Um, so that, uh, you know, the idea behind these monographs is that, uh, it's it's important to get something out sooner uh, rather than waiting uh, the years it will take to mm-hmm. to write uh, the big book. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you think is important for people to know about? Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that we didn't touch on is Russia's involvement in mm-hmm. this whole thing, which, uh, given what's going on in Ukraine, is mm-hmm. is is uh, is interesting. It's sort of a, a taste of of what was to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, you know Russia intervenes in Syria in 2015 to support the Syrian regime, 
Uh, and they're fighting their battles there uh, in Syria at the same time that we're fighting in Mosul and, and Raqqa. Uh, the Battle of Aleppo is, is mm-hmm. taking place while we're fighting in Mosul. Um, and uh, so we, we have, uh, we kind of learn how to, to deal with, uh, you know, very close contact with Russian forces mm. uh, in the air and even on the ground. I mean, as you might imagine, the, the skies over Syria were, were, uh, were very, you know, they were busy. We have, yeah. we have U.S. and coalition aircraft. We have Russian uh, aircraft. We have Syrian regime aircraft. The potential for some kind of incident was pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's actually a pretty remarkable achievement uh, by the, the uh, folks involved in deconfliction mm-hmm. um, uh, for OIR that, that nothing uh, that, well, I shouldn't say nothing. Uh, but not, very little happened in the air, at least between us and Russia. Right. Uh, we did actually have uh, a shootdown of a Russian, uh, or of, sorry, of a Syrian regime fighter. Uh, mm. uh, so, uh, like I said, there, there was some uh, friction there. And on the ground, mm-hmm. um, there's actually, and I talk about this in the, in the monograph, um, the Wagner Group, which is a, a private military company mm. uh, of Russian origin, oh. uh, that is as we see today, fighting in, in Ukraine. Mm. Um, uh, they, uh, a, a force composed mainly of, of Wagner Group uh, mercenaries launched a, a ground assault on an outpost where U.S. special operators were present. Oh, wow. um, and so there is a ground battle in February 2018 between involving U.S. Hmm. special operators shooting at Russian uh, citizens. Uh, and wow. uh, and it ends very badly mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for the Wagner group with, mm-hmm. uh, I think, uh, at, at least 200 dead. Uh, wow. but it, it shows that, uh, I think it's, it's an, an interesting sort of preview, mm. uh, of, of, um, what we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And, but, but thank you so much. Uh, some great information here on your, your monograph, the conflict with ISIS operation inherent resolve, June, 2014 to January, 2020. But before we close, uh, it's time for our segment that I call Hua Trivia, a piece of significant uh, trivia that um, I'm hoping will wow the audience. So is there some piece of trivia that you can share with me about the conflict with ISIS? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think uh, this sort of illustrates just the intensity of the of the combat that was taking place on the ground. Um, so during the during the battle for Raqqa, uh, in uh, 2017, there was one battalion, and and uh, you know I I'll have to ask for for your forgiveness. It's actually a, it's a Marine artillery battalion uh, fighting under under Operation Inherent Resolve, mm-hmm. um, but it fired uh, it, it here uh, uh, no less than 35,000 artillery rounds in a wow. period of five months in in support of this uh, in support of this battle. And this is this is of course one unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, we have uh, airstrikes and other uh, ground-based artillery. Uh, and uh, just to put that in perspective, into perspective, that's actually uh, more artillery rounds than, than were fired in the uh, the opening invasion of, of Iraq in 2003. Wow. Uh, oh, so wow. I, I <laughs> hope that that will give some sense of, uh, you know, this is, this is large-scale ground combat. Thank you so much, Mason, for your discussion insights today about your monograph, The Conflict with ISIS. And we look forward to more of your work in the future. And if anyone wants to get a copy of The Conflict with ISIS and learn more about Army history in general, I encourage you to explore our website at history.army.mil. The pamphlet is available as a free PDF download 
or it can be ordered for free if you're part of the Department of Defense. But anyone can order and uh, purchase it from the government publishing office. Just go to history.army.mil and you'll see it there. So if you want to experience Army history every day, then please visit our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please join us every week on this podcast for more in-depth discussions as we cover topics from all eras of U.S. Army history, examining battles, soldier experiences, equipment, weapons, and tactics. Thanks for joining us today on the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. For the Center of Military History, I'm Lee Reynolds. And until next time, we're history. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or opinions of the U.S. Army or Department of Defense. For more information about the Army's proud history and heritage, go to history.army.mil.com.